This podcast is brought to you by public.com, the investing social network. Public is a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. There are a few investing apps out there, but here's what's different about public. There are social features that allow people to share and discover new ideas, and the app supports responsible investing habits, so they don't encourage day trading, nor do they offer margin accounts or options. Features like safety labels on potentially risky stocks give members more complete context. Public has also opted out of payment for order flow, so they don't sell your trades to third parties. Public's community is about 40% women and 45% people of color, so its members come from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Conversations on public span deep dives into new IPOs, as well as general insights on financial wellness and category trends. You can even use group chats to build investing clubs with your friends. Head over to public.com to sign up and start with a free slice of stock. Get going with as little as $1, and if you're looking to transfer your portfolio over from another brokerage, they'll even cover fees for accounts valued at over $150. Some fine print, valid for U.S. residents 18 years and older, and subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. And in this episode, part four of our series on couples, finances, and fintech, I am joined by Justin Howell, the co-founder and CEO of Rise. Uh, Justin, great to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderfully. And thanks very much. Great to be here. Yeah, likewise. One of our community members suggested that we have you on because... Little did I know you guys were focused a lot on this space um, directly at the consumer level, sort of what like um, Adity is doing. Uh, I'm sure it varies a little bit, but you guys pivoted. So I would just love to hear the backstory on why you got into the couples finances space within fintech initially and why you made that change as well. Sure. Well, so to give a little bit of background, uh, Rise is a fintech infrastructure platform that brings together all of the different capabilities you need to build, launch, and scale new financial products and services that are really tailored to the needs of your end customer, brings them all together in a single platform, one API, one simple contract. Uh, so you can really get to market faster with less effort and better economics. But as you kind of alluded to, we've got a bit of an interesting history in that we actually started life as a B2C fintech company. Uh, and one of the things that we were really focused on actually was uh, couples and couples finances. So my, my co-founder and I originally started the company around a much more intuitive vision for how financial services could and should work. Uh, we really wanted to solve this translation problem between how people think about and use money out in the real world versus how our crazy convoluted financial industry is architected and regulated into these different silos of things like banking and brokerage and lending insurance that, you know, not only were they never designed to work together, they certainly were never designed to actually map to how people think about and use money. 
And so we built a bunch of really interesting architecture and technology that could allow us to operate across multiple different verticals simultaneously. And in many ways, you could say that the way that embedded finance is starting to develop is kind of similar to how we thought things should go. But we were early to this game. When we started Rise, the things that were available to us were the consumer pain points. So that's where we really focused. We built automated saving. We brought investing into that. We brought banking into that. Uh, and we had built this pretty unique technology called synthetic accounts that allowed us to operate across multiple verticals. And we were looking for a pain point to focus on that could really highlight some of those unique capabilities. And we also, based on our research, and I think some of the things that you've talked about in this series, wanted, realized that we wanted to focus on a time uh, which was a major life transition for folks. When you get a lot of the financial balls up in the air, get think people unstuck, and they're actually willing to try something new. And so we ultimately landed on couples finance because it was a major life transition. Uh, it's a really hard problem to solve in terms of the way that you can manage things right now. And it was also something that we had some real personal experience with, both me and, and my co-founder. He's married with kids. I was married at the time. We're like, this is a pain point that we understand firsthand. Uh, so it was a really, really interesting one for us to focus on. Yeah. And you also mentioned that it's something that putting even couples aside the U.S. and other nations have this problem where there's people that are well off and even coming off of a bad stint, like they don't even necessarily know what to do with their money and everything. So and that was something that you experienced personally as well, right? Very much so. You know, I, I originally got into this business somewhat reluctantly. Uh, I spent about half my career in the private equity and hedge fund worlds uh, and felt like I had spent too much time in finance as it was, focused on things that I wasn't very passionate about and wasn't adding much to the universe. Uh, but I got dragged back into this world to build another company because my parents, like so many people, just got crushed uh, in the last downturn and in 2008, 2009. And I spent about five years working with them to help them figure out, all right, how did this happen and how do we get things back? to stable. And it's not a sob story about them. They're great savers. They've got all the support in the world behind them. They're both in healthcare. They'll literally get a pension one day. Um, but doing that work with them led to this question of, all right, well, how screwed up do things have to be if this is the outcome for two highly educated people with great jobs who were really trying hard and have all that support? What does that mean for everybody else? Uh, and, and you're right. Financial services is just so confusing. Uh, as your average consumer, right? You know, you just want to get in the car and have it take you from point A to point B, but actually making the system work for you right now is like you have to be the mechanic who could take apart the entire engine, right? Uh, and, and so that's really some of the stuff that we wanted to be able to solve with the technology that we built on things. And, uh, you know, the, the problem around couples finances is, is maybe one of the most difficult ones to solve of all, right? Uh, because, you know, the, the, People kind of exist on a spectrum in terms of how they want to be able to manage money together with a spouse or partner. You know, one extreme of the spectrum might be, well, we're not going to actually combine anything. We're just going to stay separate, right? We're going to keep totally separate finances. Maybe we'll be married or committed to each other. The other end of the spectrum is, well, we're just going to pool all of that stuff together. Right. We're just going to operate as one. And that's maybe a, a, a style that our parents generation was much more common. Really not that common for millennials and younger for our generation. The reality is most people want to be somewhere in between that. And it's just really, really hard, given the rigidity of our current system, to be able to set up uh, a way to manage money somewhere on that spectrum with your spouse or partner. Right. Yeah. And I think 
if we had stuck to the same thing that our parents tended to do, putting everything together, it probably would be a lot easier for fintech to actually give advice off of that because we, right. all right, they're essentially one person, but when you are keeping some or all of it separate, it adds in so many extra variables and we haven't even solved how to help individuals yet, let alone right. two individuals together. And just the logistics of managing money across effectively three pools. You know, we kind of thought a good way to manage money somewhere along that spectrum is to have three pools of money, my money, your money, and our money. And right now, it's really, really hard to hack that together with existing accounts. Uh, my my co-founder's got a great example of he and his wife missed a mortgage pay payment one time because you know they had auto draws from their individual accounts into a joint account and some ACH screwed up somewhere in some system and didn't alert them to it. And the next thing they know, they've missed a payment, right? That's the kind of thing that you're working with when you're trying to set up just the logistics of... How do we do this together? Even if we've gotten past the point of having a conversation with each other first about how do we want to do this, right? And even having that conversation is extraordinarily difficult in, in kind of our society. So um, that's a lot of what we focused on solving was how do we make the infrastructure much easier to use, much more flexible. So you could actually set up those three pools of money of my money, your money, our money, not just those three pools, but really along the spectrum of, well, how much do we want to stay separate? How much do we want to put things together and make sure that there's easy visibility for both sides of a couple to be able to see what's happening, to really make good decisions about what's happening and to put the basic stuff on automatic. So taking a step back again, how mm -hmm. long exactly were you doing the consumer facing stuff before you decided to make that pivot to B2B and what was there like a turning point where like a light bulb went off and you're like, you know what? Nope. B2B is the way we need to go. Like that's what's going to make sense for our company. That's what's going to drive equity value, revenue, et cetera. Well, there, there were a couple different pieces that came together. You know, we had built this really unique technology called synthetic accounts to solve this problem of how to provide much more flexibility much more visibility and also the ability to operate across multiple verticals of say banking and brokerage simultaneously. As we got deeper and deeper into the build uh, around the consumer side of this stuff, particularly around that, that couples product, we started to realize that this technology we had built, these synthetic accounts, actually had a much wider range of applicability than we had ever expected. That we actually had been able to solve now this many-to-many -many problem of how do you map customer needs down to all these different underlying account types, payment rails, regulatory regulatory compliance schemes that are required to power different parts of this stuff. We kind of started to get the sense of, you know, if the only thing we ever use this for is stuff under our own branded rise flag, it's kind of gone to waste because it solves so many additional problems that we see out in financial services. Simultaneously to that, as we were out talking to a lot of other fintech founders, we started to realize that, you know, pretty much everybody who was trying to build in fintech was running into the same problems. How do I find a bank and integrate against them? How do I find a processor and integrate them? How do I deal with all the regulatory compliance pieces? And we'd already solved all of that for ourselves. And we started having other founders ask us, could I just use what you guys have already built? That was the second piece. And then the third piece of the nail in the coffin was we actually were working through a different banking as a service platform on the other side. That's how we did our first bank integration. And the bank that they were working with got in serious trouble with the regulators around some of the things that they had been doing uh, in the fintech world. 
and that was going to put things on on a serious hold. But what we realized around that was a lot of the other banking as a service players had said, hey, we just want to be tech guys, compliance that belongs with the banks. That's not really what we want to do. And we realized actually to build infrastructure that could operate at the same level of, you know, an AWS in internet and cloud or Shopify in e-commerce where you just don't have to think about it anymore. Well, compliance is a big part of, of the game there. And so we decided to, you know, all the, all the signs were pointing towards, we really know how to do the infrastructure well. We've already built the vast majority of it. We have something very special in terms of the synthetic account technology to allow folks to build much more uh, customer-centric user experiences. Let's go that way. All the signs are pointing that we are better positioned as an infrastructure platform that can help solve problems for other builders because we've been in their shoes. It's a very unique perspective to have been on both sides of the table. And you actually see that pretty often in the fintech infrastructure world. You can look at, you know, a lot of people don't know that Plaid actually started as a consumer fintech before they switched over to being a platform. Drive Wealth on the brokerage side started as a consumer fintech before they switched over to uh, being a platform. And I think it's really hard to build good fintech infrastructure if you haven't been down in the trenches having to solve a lot of those problems for yourself. It gives you a very unique perspective on what do you have to build how do you make this stuff really user-friendly from a developer's perspective? So me as a consumer, am I ever going to know that I'm using Rise or is it completely white-labeled where it's just whoever is using your API and other backend system has it and my experience will be better, but I'll have no idea that Rise is the one that's making my experience better. As an, as an end consumer, you won't see much of us. You know, if you really know to dig down into certain of the legal documents on things, uh, and, and you may see some reference to rise here and there, and you may see us at the, the, the footer of a website for various folks who are use, uh, using us and things like that. But just like an Amazon Web Services or a Shopify, our job is to be behind the scenes, the silent party that's making all the infrastructure and the plumbing run so that customers who are building against us can really just focus on their end customers and that user experience and, and really kind of wowing their customers. Right? You're not going to see us very much, and we're fine with that. So the the products that you are mostly helping out with, it, it seems like there's a range of them, but which is the most popular reason that companies are using you guys? Yeah, folks are primarily coming to us today for banking capabilities. So if you need access to underlying checking accounts, savings accounts, FBO accounts, ACH rails, debit card issuance, that's the core of what we do right now. Uh, you'll see us come out with some pretty interesting stuff over the course of uh, the rest of this year that starts to spread across significantly kind of wider uh, swath than just those pieces. But if you look at the folks who are building against the platform right now, they're all looking for banking capabilities, embeddable banking capabilities and things along those lines. How much of it is still couples finances related now to what it was? Obviously beforehand, it seemed like it was mostly related to that, but now it seems like, I mean, your infrastructure could power a lot of things outside of couples finances as well. Yeah. And in fact, uh, we don't have a specific couples finance uh, partner who's built against us right now as it is. So everything that we're powering is a much wider swath of different customers who want underlying banking capabilities. You're exactly right that the infrastructure is a very flexible set of infrastructure that can power pretty much anything that's happening on the banking side of the world. I will say that couples finance is still a really 
interesting and hard problem to solve uh, and one that we know a lot about. So we would love for somebody who's building in that particular sphere to come and have a conversation with us. Uh, we'd love to power some of what they do and our technology is particularly well suited to solve some of that flexibility issue. When talking about couples finances in general and how hard this space is to solve for reasons that we've already touched on, what, how long do you think it's going to take to actually get past some of these issues in, in like a year? Am I going to notice any difference? Cause I think of different examples, like when I got married, when we moved in together, if you buy a house, if you have a baby, like my bank never reaches out to me to be like, Oh, you just had this big life event. Here are five things that you should do because you just did that. Like there's nothing to support me. And like, Thankfully, I know a bit about finance, but even then I don't feel very equipped. So I can only imagine what someone that does not have any experience in finance thinks about all this. They have no idea where to start. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think the experience that you have painted a picture of right there, which is a financial system that is much more proactive in assisting you on things closer to the self-driving car is Really, I think what all of us want, whether it's around couples finance or just financial services in general, uh, some of the issues of what you've talked about there haven't just been necessarily the, um, you know, what's, what's the AI or algorithmic driven side of things to be able to figure out when to reach out and things like that. It's been the problems of the underlying infrastructure. You know, can't even get to start solving some of those problems that you're talking about until I can get a product out in the world to begin with. And that's been such a big lift up to this point. Again, building out good infrastructure is not the core skill set of most fintech builders who have really good visions about how the user experience should work. It's kind of similar to building in internet and cloud pre Amazon Web Services, right? Where you were just trying to bring a new website to market, but you had to go buy and manage all your own servers to do that. It's kind of like that in our world, except it's even worse because of the regulatory overlay. And so I think what we're seeing now is, as more and more folks are building against us is we have been able to bring that bar for engagement down so that you don't have to be an infrastructure expert to be able to get to market. You can get out the door quickly with best in class infrastructure, and then you can really focus on the interesting stuff, the pieces that you're talking about, right? How do I really build out the user experience around that that can do this in a much more proactive and automatic fashion? And I think you're seeing, not just with us, but across the industry, there's much better infrastructure that is coming to market that is making it much easier to hit that starting line and then really focus on innovating around the user experience. So I think that uh, I, I don't see anybody who I think has knocked it out of the park yet from purely a couples finance perspective. But I think the tools are now starting to be there such that absolutely, somebody started now within a year, you could start to see some real progress against some of those major pain points, both couples finance and, and in a much wider swath of stuff. What type of innovations do you think that we're most likely to see first within a year or two if some things start to happen? Do you think it is proactive? Like, hey, this person just legally changed their name and got married, or is it something more simple than that? I think it always has to start with the simple, right? You know, you, you have to earn the trust of your customers first before you get the opportunity to go and build a deeper relationship around some of those kind of pieces. Uh, and you know, I think that's one of the lessons of consumer fintech and fintech writ large across the, the last decade or so, which is you got to find a pain point 
where a simple solution is enough to really start building some real traction for you. And then you can build on top of that relationship and the data that you're starting to generate around it um, to do a lot more. And so uh, I can't tell you exactly what those pieces are, but for example, I think around the couples finance side, simply just being able to make the management side of this stuff easier, being able to see mine, yours, and ours pools of money, be able to transfer money back and forth, be able to spend uh, money out of those pieces simply, like that's a great place to start. And then once you've done that well, if it's a strong enough pain point, folks will start to, customers will start coming in and utilizing the product because of that. And then you get the opportunity to build all the really interesting proactive stuff on, on top of that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the proactive stuff too will be, we haven't even touched on the emotional factor that goes into finances on both a personal level and a couple's level. It's like having those conversations, even with your partner gets to be tough sometimes like, Hey, like we should have talked more about this purchase, or I think we should take this job to earn more money. And like, there's just so much that goes into it that you start to realize, like, I realize why a lot of marriages end because of financial reasons, like it's really stressful. So if there's a way that fintech and banks in general can can help with that. I think that, you know, they'd be saving marriages. <laughs> Adity and I talked about last time. It's like the app that can save your marriage from any financial issues. That's exactly right. At the end of the day, something as fraught with emotion as money is always going to start first and foremost around, can you have a conversation with a partner around this? And our vision for how the fintech tools uh, should exist within that is that they should support the outcome of that conversation as opposed to necessarily be the tool that drives that conversation. And, you know, I think that's, there's so much to be done across both of those spectrums. Uh, they, as you said, kind of the app that can help you actually have the conversation that may be even more important than some of the underlying moving money back and forth and all the other kind of things that come out of that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, that, that is ultimately why we started Rise in the first place was a recognition that the user experience side of this stuff, the customer centric side of this stuff really needs to support customers where they're at and what they're trying to achieve, as opposed to having a system that basically says, this is how it's done. It's our way or the highway. It doesn't really matter what you've decided. You've got one way to do it, right? And I think again, across financial services at large, as more and more flexibility comes into the system, we'll start to be in a place where it's possible to build tools and build products that can actually be much more supportive of the, of the customers where they're at than shoving it down their throats and saying, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Here's what you got, right? So I'm very optimistic about where things are going to develop here over the course of the next couple of years, not just within couples finance, but across a wide variety of different areas. Yeah. On that note, that is all that we have time for today. We'll have you back in a year and see how your predictions are doing. If we've got some some major um, inwards on uh, how this is all going. But thank you so much, Justin Howell of Rise. If you guys want to check them out, their website is risefs.com. Um, otherwise, be sure to rate us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, etc. If you like this, tell your friends about it. Um, and let us know what you thought about having a series as well. This is the first series that we've done on here. I am more than happy to do more of these if you guys liked it. So hit me up on Twitter and let me know. Otherwise, Justin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. This was a real pleasure.